This is a special message for me this morning. Uh, for me, it's one of the top three so far in this sermon series. This is the 23rd sermon in this sermon series. And I think that we are about halfway done. Uh, if you're new here uh, and don't know, uh, we're taking time through the sermon series. I haven't been, it hasn't been 23 consecutive weeks. It's actually been almost a year and a half now. I'm going through the book of Exodus in sections. There are five major sections. We are in section four now. The fifth section um, has a lot to it. But we've been studying the Ten Commandments, and this morning, um, I have I just don't know. I got to get away and pray about it. I'm like, God, I don't know if I can do what I just did again at the nine o'clock. And I'm, I'm not going to try to duplicate it, but I'll tell you how I feel. You ever had like so much on your heart that it's about to just burst and then you finally let it out you cry all over yourself and then you feel better well that happened at nine o'clock and so now I feel better and so I don't know you know I'm, I'm still going to give you the same same word but I was actually so moved at the beginning of the nine o'clock service when I showed up here this morning that I just sat over here and wept I mean I was shaking up here crying uh, Chris was talking about communion. He probably thought that he had something really good going on. I don't even know what he was saying because I was in a world of my own. And um, But communion was part of it. This morning, um, I'm going to be talking about the grace of God. I'm going to be talking about the altar that was at the foot of Mount Sinai uh, that was, was to be built there. And... The, the whole thrust of this morning's message is that our God and His grace has provided the perfect way for us to constantly live in right standing with Him and, and how much grace we need even after we've been set free. And, and I thought, I just was overwhelmed with it. You know, the Apostle Paul said, he said these words. He said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And this morning, that just took on an even richer meaning for me as I was just meditating on the truth. It's all about Jesus from start to finish. We have nothing to offer. And this morning, I pray that um, I can help you come to see that. And more importantly than seeing that we have nothing to offer, the important piece that I was so moved by is the reality that God has provided it all. And that God is so good, He loves His sons and daughters with such perfection that in His divine love for us, He created provisions for us to constantly be in right standing with Him. And so, um, just really excited about this message this morning. I pray um, that it touches your heart as well. Um, so, before I have you stand for the text, I just want to give you a, a little bit of context. The last three weeks, we studied the Ten Commandments in this sermon series. And arguably, Exodus 20, where the Ten Commandments are given, arguably one of the greatest chapters, most significant chapters, in the entire Old Testament. And in Exodus 20, we have only two things. The giving of the Ten Commandments. And as we're about to read, 
immediately following the Ten Commandments, God's instructions for how to build an altar. And so we're going to study that this morning in the final uh, verses, Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 through 26. Would you stand with me as we honor together the reading of God's Word? Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood afar off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. An altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stones, For if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. And you shall not go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness be not exposed on it. Let's pray. God, this morning as we come to your word, God, I pray that you would make it just as real to us, God, as it can possibly be. Help us to see it for what it is. Open the eyes of our hearts. Open the ears of our hearts. God, help me to rightly divide the word of truth this morning. Help me to preach in a way that's clearly understood by everybody here. God, I pray that through this message, you would be exalted. In all the lessons there are to be learned of the altar at Mount Sinai, through it all, may you... And your greatness, and your kindness, and your compassion, and your love, and your mercy, and your grace, may it all be on full display this morning. And may we be overwhelmed with how good of a God that you are. God, I pray you would save the lost, move amongst us, do the types of things only you can. Change us, Lord. Speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, if you remember the last three messages, they were all about the Ten Commandments. God has delivered His people from uh, Egypt. He has taken them through the ten plagues. He has delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh. He has parted the Red Sea led them across on dry ground, performed miracles for them by providing food, water from the rock, and he brings them to Mount Sinai, and he speaks to them from the mountain, and they all 
hear the Ten Commandments. Notice this morning, what was the people's response to God speaking to them after all of that? Their response was, get God away from us. Moses, we don't want to hear this voice of God any longer. You go talk with God and you just tell us whatever else God says. It tells us they were afraid. They were fearful. Why were the people afraid of God? I'm going to tell you two primary reasons. Even after all that they had been through, after watching God do all the miracles that they had seen, being led by the fire at night, the cloud by day, they were afraid of God when God's voice thundered to them and and they saw God or heard God in a very real and close way. It made them feel uncomfortable. And this is the truth about truly encountering God. It is a fearful thing. I would argue that anybody who has never had a fearful experience with God, that this person has probably not experienced God to the degree they think they have. Because it is a fearful thing when we truly know that God has come face to face with us. He is speaking directly to us. It is a fearful thing. We see the people fear here. You remember when um, Peter, the apostle Peter, was fishing with Jesus. Not with Jesus. He's fishing on his own. But Jesus tells him to cast the net back in. Keep in mind that Peter had been fishing all night. He understood how fishing worked. This is especially true when you understand they fished with nets. One of the things about fishing with nets is that if there are fish there and you lift the net up, fish will be in the net. It's not rocket science. It's very different, though, than dropping a hook in the water and hoping a fish bites it, right? And so they had been fishing all night. No fish. Jesus tells Peter to throw his net back in the water. It makes much sense why Peter is kind of like, oh, we've been fishing here all night, but okay, you're the Lord. And out of obedience, he just threw it over. You know the story. When he began to lift it up, there were so many fish in the net that the nets began to break. It was in that moment that Peter recognized that Jesus, in an even greater degree of divinity than what he had seen Jesus before. And what was Peter's response? Get away from me. That was the first words out of his mouth with that great miracle was, get away from me. And then he said these words, I am a sinful man. The people at the foot of of Mount Sinai recognized two things. Number one, God, get away from me. You are so good, so powerful, so holy, so righteous. I don't feel right being in your presence. The other side of that coin is, why don't I feel right being in God's presence? 
because I'm a sinner. The very law itself, God gives them the law, and their response is, we don't want to hear this again. You go talk with God yourself. Because they knew they could not keep the law. In a nutshell, right? Love God perfectly with all your heart. Who can do that? Who can do that? And love the people in your life, love your neighbor, love whoever's closest, nearest you with the same degree and the same care with which you have for yourself. And so there was this instinctive understanding as all of us have when we come in the presence of God Almighty, I'm not worthy. Like I... I am not worthy to approach God. Now notice, what was God's response to their unworthiness? And the answer is the altar. So God gives them the law, tells them how to live, tells them his decrees, tells of his his divine will for their lives, knowing they weren't going to be able to keep it perfectly, And immediately, he provides an altar. This morning, I want us to look at four lessons, very important lessons we learned from the altar at Mount Sinai. Number one, the altar teaches God's people to trust in his grace. The altar teaches God's people to trust in his grace. The altar was God's provision for their failures. You know, God gave the law, and yet they wouldn't be able to keep it. Now listen, this doesn't do away with the law. This doesn't mean the law has no purpose. We've already covered that thoroughly in the last three sermons of this sermon series. But God knew good and well, they would not be able to keep it perfectly. They would fail, and the altar where these other sacrifices would be given, the altar was God's provision of grace for when they failed. The major point here is this. God's grace brought provisions for the failures of His people. This is one of the most important lessons ever to be learned in the Christian life. We will fail. You have got to know that. We will fail. There is not a single one of us that will get it right. All the time. Every day. It's such an important lesson because if you don't know that as a Christian, it'll motivate you to give up. You'll think, well, I can't. I can't keep the law. I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. As we're going to see this morning, the law was never meant to save us, folks. That wasn't the purpose of it. It wasn't made to bring us into right standing with God. But you need to understand from the get-go, God recognized his people would fail. And he immediately came up with a solution. In his grace, he provided a way for us to stay in right standing with him. After redemption, after the Passover lamb, after being set free, 
You've got to, you have to know this about your faith. If you are truly, you truly love God, you want to honor God with your living, you want to honor God with your heart, you want to honor God in everything that you do and say, you are truly a born-again, Holy Spirit-filled Christian. You need to know something. You will still fail. We have this dual nature where we are, we are still battling a fallen nature. We are sinners by default. And anybody who tells you differently, they're just mistaken. We will fail. Now, there are folks, trust me, when I preach these things, at times I find myself concerned. People will take what I'm saying and use it as an excuse to go off and play around in their sins and just say, well, God's grace has me covered. Listen, that's not what I'm preaching this morning. And don't blame me for their actions. Those people are toying around in their sin right now. They'll be toying around in their sin afterwards. It's not my fault. Those are the type of people that are always looking for some loophole in the Word of God to excuse their sins. That's not what we're doing here this morning, folks. But we must square with the fact that we do fail. Then what? You see... This is what you've got to see. And I pray the Holy Spirit will help us to see it this morning. God's already provided grace for it. God already has a solution for that. We do fail. And you know, if you don't know that, you'll find yourself all the time questioning if you're even saved at all. I questioned, I remember two two or three years as a Christian. This sounds like nonsense, but it's true. As a Christian, for two or three years, I'm talking, I'm a guy that went from some radical, crazy lifestyle to serving God with all my heart. I'm going to church four or five days a week. I'm in every Bible study you can think of. I'm teaching a Bible study on Wednesday and Friday. I'm, I'm involved in everything you could possibly think of, and there were still times in my life I wondered if I was even a Christian. I'd be at work. Somebody would act like an idiot, and I would think things that you think about idiots. And then I would think to myself, what kind of Christian are you? That's not how Jesus thinks about that person. Are you even saved? Do you even really love God? And if you do, why do you fail all the time? And I remember constantly feeling like there was something wrong with me that made me different from all of the other spiritual people I knew. I didn't know at that time that they failed like I failed. And you know, if you don't hear this, this is such an important message. If you don't hear this this morning, a lot of you people, you look at people like me and a handful of others of us that the only thing you ever get to see is me up here on the stage functioning in my spiritual gift, and you think to yourself that I live on some spiritual plane that you know nothing about. It's not true. You just don't get to follow me around. You don't get to see the thoughts that I think. You don't get to know the struggles I have. But the reality is we all fail. And you need to know that. The question is not, will you fail? Do we fail? The question is, 
What is God's answer to it? And the answer was the altar. That God's grace is sufficient enough, even in our failures, to bring us and keep us into right standing with Him. It's a humbling truth to come to that reality that it's always the grace of God and it's only the grace of God. And that I need the grace of God today to stay in right standing with God just like I needed it 23 years ago when I was a wicked, awful heathen. I still need the grace of God today. I cannot approach God this morning. You cannot approach God this morning on the grounds of I have been a super perfect, holy person that God must accept because I am free from failure. There's only one reason after 23 years of serving God and truly, God knows my heart, my hand to heaven this morning, truly trying to do it to the best of my ability. Still, there's only one reason I can approach God, and it's not because of anything I've done. There's only one reason you can approach God, and it's not because of anything that you've done. It is all because of Jesus. It is only because of Jesus. It has always been about Jesus, and it will always be and only be because of Jesus. The altar was the place that God revealed to us we still needed His grace. Not just at salvation, but every day after we still need God's grace. And the altar teaches us to trust in God's grace. Number two, the altar teaches us that man is a sinner. So God would give his law. He would say, here's the way. And then immediately after, he's like, well, here's the altar for when you break it. Because we are sinners, and the altar teaches us that. It reveals to us that we have broken the law, that there there needs to be a substitute to pay in our place for what we've done. It reveals to us that we are not like God. The altar would be needed because... Men would break God's law. Men are sinners. Even Israel, God's people. And if you read the Old Testament, sometimes, especially Israel. And they needed God's grace. The fact is that we cannot perfectly keep God's law and God's rules because of our corrupted nature, because of the sin that is inside of man, born a sinner, we are prone to sin. And the altar reveals this fact. Number three, the altar teaches us not only that we are a sinner, but that man needs a savior. God said, on this altar, right, the, the blood will pour down and fire will be consumed up to heaven as a a symbol that I have accepted the sacrifice. You remember the very first time that Israel learned this lesson? It was with the Passover lamb, where a substitute would die in the stead of the firstborn. Here, God reminds him, 
you still need a substitute. And from an Old Testament perspective, all of these substitutes, all of these sacrifices point forward to the one supreme, final, and forever sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But here, God is teaching his people, not only are you sinners, incapable of keeping my perfect law, but you need a savior. You need someone else, in this case, something else, to die in your stead, to literally save you from death. You know, one of the lessons that we learn here is that the law was never meant to save us. I was never the purpose of the law. And Paul, in his, his writings, especially in the book of Romans, does such a marvelous job pointing this out, that the law of God, it was never designed to save us. It's even called a schoolmaster to bring me to Christ. You know what that means? It means this, that the, the major point of the law was to show me that I'm a sinner. Paul even said, basically, before the law was there, I, you know, I didn't, I, I was fine. But when the law came, sin revived. I came alive to the truth that I'm a sinner because the law revealed that to me. But it was never meant to save us. You know, as Christians, we still look for laws to save us. Certain list of rules. Let me know, preacher, if I, I do this thing. Like, how many church services do I have to attend to make it to heaven? Well, if I want to go further than making it to heaven, how many, how many church, churches, church services do I have to attend to, like, be really close to God? How many minutes of, of prayer do I need to pray each day? How many Bible verses do I need to know? How much do I need to give? How much do I need to serve? We, we tend to look for these lists of rules that we think will get us closer to God. And we're constantly creating laws. You'll find that many churches or denominations or, or even within denominations, groups of churches, they kind of have their own laws of what equals holiness, what allows us to get extra close to God. Man has been doing it from the beginning, but the law was never meant to save us. It was never meant to bring us close to God. In fact, as we're about to see, we don't approach God through the law. We approach God through the altar. We approach God through sacrifice. And not a sacrifice of our own, but a substitute that was sacrificed on our behalf. So the law was not meant to save us. The altar teaches us that we need a Savior. At number four this morning, the altar teaches us that we must approach God on His terms. So, the tabernacle had not been erected yet. God had not even given Moses directions for the tabernacle. And God tells them to build an altar of earth at the foot of Mount Sinai. The... Uh, the fulfillment of that you'll find in uh, Exodus 24, verse 4, I believe. So, clearly what we have, 
is God saying right here at the foot of Mount Sinai, we're going to build an altar. And he gives them instructions on doing it, and he tells them how to build the altar of earth, and then he also gives them instructions for when they would build an altar of stone. And I want us to consider what God's teaching us through both. First of all, the altar of earth. The Hebrew word for earth is a word that means to crumble. And so when it speaks of the earth, it is specifically speaking of dirt, which crumbles, or dust. This first altar of earth is a reminder of who we are, of where we came from, and to where we go. It, it speaks of humility. Approaching God with a realistic and honest view that I am but dust. And I will return to dust. And so there's this real sense of um, reverence with which we want to approach God. He then tells them about the stone, almost the opposite of earth, for stone does not crumble and it resists pressure. Notice the instructions with the stone. It says it is not to be hewn by human tools. In other words, they're not to take the stone and do anything to it with tools to shape it in any way or any fashion. They were just to take the stone the way that it was wasn't to be of gold, wasn't to be of silver. There's a couple things God's doing here. Number one, he is referencing the false altars of the rest of humanity. Heathen people for ages have built altars of gold and silver. And when they build these altars of gold and silver... They shape them into things, sometimes animals. Animals are more of an idol to worship. When you think of an altar, a place where we come and bring a sacrifice, sometimes it was just um, a place uh, that was created, a, a building of some sort. And God says, with my altar, no gold, no silver, don't shape it to anything, Don't put your hands on it. Don't put your tools on it. It's simply going to be a stone taken from the earth. Don't do anything with it. And there's a message here that we can't, with our hands, somehow create a way that brings us into right standing with God. There's a message here that we can't take our work and somehow do enough and make something fancy and make something great and make something wonderful that somehow gets us into favor with God. God's communicating the absolute truth. There is nothing we have to offer and nothing we have to add. Man must come to God empty-handed with nothing to offer, coming in grateful humility to receive undeserved mercy. 
God, in essence, is declaring, you shall not touch my altar with your hands. Man does not have the right, man does not have the wisdom, and man does not have the power to change the altar upon which God says we must come. It's his altar, not ours. God furthers this lesson by adding one more detail. And this detail applies with the altar of earth or the altar of stone. He said it was to have no steps. No steps. There are also a couple of things being taught here. So first of all, one of the things that was somewhat common, (coughs) still common today, when people would build an altar, is they'd put a lot of steps on it in thought that the higher you get up in the air, the closer you're getting to your gods. And he says, no, don't do that. No steps at all. You might remember, for example, the Tower of Babel, where people tried to build a tower to heaven, thinking they would get closer to God. God says, no, there's not anything you can do to somehow get closer to me Instead, my altar will have no steps. It will be right there on the earth. And instead of you coming to me, I will come to you. There is such an important lesson here about how God handles us, folks. And I pray the Holy Spirit will help you see it this morning. Our shame and our fear and our sins cause us to want to get away from God. We feel like when we've done something wrong, we need to do something right to work ourselves back. But notice this theme from out through, through the whole entire Bible. You remember when Adam and Eve sinned against God? What they did was they hid. They tried to clothe themselves. They tried to hide themselves from God. What was God's response to Adam and Eve in their time of shame? He came to where they were. Here he's teaching us. We can't get to where he is. There aren't enough steps that we could build to get to where he is. But he will come to where we are. Jesus left the splendor of heaven, left his glory, left his throne, if you will, at the right hand of God for a period of time and came to where we are. This morning, you have to understand something, child of God. God's answer to your failures is to come right to where you are and to meet you right where you are at. It's not for you to find a way to get back up to where he is. That's one of the lessons that God's teaching here. The other that I believe is also clearly implied here is that there are no steps to get to God. Just one. Get to where he says to be. Kneel before a holy God in humility. My feet are not up in the sky. They're planted right on the earth. My knees are there too, right where I belong. And God, I have nothing to do but hope for your mercy and your grace. And God says right there, child, that 
that is where I'll meet you. I want to say something again. We don't have the right to change God's altar. We don't have the power to change God's altar. There is only one way that we come to God, and that is through His His way. Steps don't get you there. In my two decades now of doing ministry, you know one of the things that I've recognized? Steps actually move people further away from God. Be honest. How many times have you yourself maybe, or maybe somebody you know, is that I want to get right with God. I'm going to. 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 But first, first, I need to do this, and I got to do this, and I got to do this, and I got to change this, and I got to change that, and I got to start doing this. And once, once I do all these steps, then I'll be ready to present myself to God. It never works because God's method says there are no steps at His altar. It was stated at the end of our first service. It's really all about surrender. It's about coming to the absolute realization that I have nothing to offer but complete and total trust in God's grace that God has provided it all. That God's plan is so perfect and so complete that even as a child of God, I must kneel before His grace and I must trust in His grace and I must just surrender to Him. Like, God, I don't have enough steps to fix it. God, I'm not smart enough to fix it. God, I can't. I can't do this perfectly. I can't follow you perfectly. I can't make my thoughts taken captive perfectly. I just can't. No matter how hard I try, God, I constantly need your grace. And God says, yes, child. Yes, child. You see the truth. You constantly need my grace. And I have provided it through Jesus Christ. There is probably not a more miserable Christian life than the one lived on the rat wheel of trying to earn God's favor by your works. It's just never enough. And you know it. And even when you've done well, you know that just give it enough time, you're going to fail. And when we stop trying to stay in right standing with God through keeping the law, and understand the altar is the place where we just kneel in humility and confess, God, I need your mercy today. I need your grace today. I need your forgiveness today. And we realize that God has already provided it. The altar was his idea. And his son became the supreme once and forever sacrifice. When we realize that, I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, it is a game changer. It is a game changer in your faith. For those of us who have ever really had this revelation, I mean the Holy Spirit impressed it upon our hearts. I promise you this. It does anything inside a man's heart when he sees these truths. Anything but make him want to go out and sin. It just doesn't. It's like, God, I am so grateful that even when I fail, you've made provision but the last thing I want to do is trample on that. I don't want to trample. I don't want to go out and, 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 and trample on your grace. 
The true prayer is still yet, God, help me to be whole here. God, help me. Help me to overcome these weaknesses. But as Paul said, in my weakness, your strength is made perfect. And no matter what I face and no matter how much I do fail, your grace is sufficient. This morning at the start of the first service, I literally, just thinking on these things, I was just over here weeping, shaking. I I don't cry hard enough to shake very often, but I was over here shaking. As I was just thinking about these truths in my own life. It's all the grace of God. It was a grace that saved me. It's grace that keeps me. It's grace that's going to lead me home. I was reminded. I, all this stuff's running through my heart this morning. I just, I, I'm reminded how, how, how people really don't know me. And sometimes I wish that you did. I think there's wisdom in you not knowing every, all of my struggles. Because most people can handle it. You think, oh, that guy ain't no pastor. And you don't think you would think that, but trust me, if you saw the soft that run through my mind and my heart and you thought you knew the stuff I struggle with, you would think that. Most, a lot of you would think that. It's just the way we are as people. And I was thinking about the truth. God knows it all, though. He knows it all. And he loves me the same. And it's not because of, it's, it's, never, it's never been because of my ability to keep his laws perfectly. It's because of Jesus. I was reminded of a, a dear sister that loves me, that was concerned for me, that came to me a couple years ago. And she was concerned for me because another sister in this church had said something she perceived to be pretty negative about me. And here's the thing about that other sister. She knows me way better. She spent a lot of time with me. And I told that lady... That, you know, I did appreciate her letting me know her concerns, but this is exactly what I told her. I said, that other sister, the thing is, she knows me really well, and the reality is, whatever she said was probably right. However, she don't even know the half of it. I thought about that this morning as I was sitting there. And I just thought about how true it is that we all need God's grace every day And if the Holy Spirit will help us to see this, I want to close with this. Folks, this is not so much about what we need. It's important to recognize what we need. The lesson isn't so much, we can't keep the law. We need a sacrifice. The lesson is this. Our God has provided it. Our God is so perfect, so loving, so true, so faithful. He's the one that comes to us. He comes to us. He creates the way. He devised a plan. He sent His Son to be the perfect sacrifice. It's all Him and He is so good. And it was that thought that just broke me this morning. Like, God is so good. And we do not have to live in shame. We don't have to live in fear. We have to trust in His grace that our failures have been provided for.
through Jesus Christ. I'm not proud of my failures, but I'll tell you one thing. I'm proud of my God who knew that I would fail and who knew I would need help and said, here's the answer, son. Here's the help. You can be in right standing with me every day of your life, not because of anything you've done, but because of what Jesus has done.